Good morning. Uh, would you please turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 2? Hopefully everyone is having, has had a good holiday the last couple of days, and uh, you're here this morning uh, excited as I am to look into God's Word. Uh, while you turn there, I want to say that uh, most of my thoughts this morning have been uh, very influenced and helped along uh, by two books that I want to commend to you on these matters. Uh, I highly recommend uh, the book Men and Women in the Church uh, by Kevin D. Young. Uh, it's on order at the bookstore. Hopefully they will uh, get copies of this soon. I highly recommend this book on all the matters that we'll be talking about today and next week. And then uh, another book, uh, especially for the sisters, but I think uh, brothers can read this as well, is this little book, uh, excellent, by our sister Kerry Folmar, who is the wife of John Folmar uh, at the United Christian Church of Dubai, and the book is titled, How Can Women Thrive in the Local Church? Both of, both of these are excellent resources. This is available. I know they have several copies at the bookstore. Uh, it's uh, only 25 dirhams, so be sure to pick one up, and uh, I hope you'll be helped. I also want to say that uh, for this sermon, I'm very indebted to my good friend, Bobby Jameson, and uh, material that he prepared for his church on his topic, on this topic, and it's significantly shaped and influenced what I will preach today. So let's look at Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, I will be reading. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, would you have mercy on us? Would you show us your glory in how you have created men and women in the church? And may our hearts be drawn to faith and obedience in our Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning's sermon is more of a topical sermon I will refer to this passage from Titus 2, but I won't be giving a strict, direct exposition of this text uh, like we normally do. Um, today, I want to introduce you, brothers and sisters, to a question that this text raises. And it's a question that for nearly 2,000 years of church history has generally had the same answer in every culture and context into which the gospel spread. The question is this. Can men and women be equal yet distinct? Can men and women be equal yet distinct? For 2,000 years, among Bible-believing Christians across all Christian denominations, the answer to that question has generally been Yes, of course. However, this issue is seriously challenged in our day and age. And I want to say all of the debates today about the role of men and women in the home and in the church boil down 
to how we answer this question. You see, in the last 50 years or so, uh, under the influence of changes in Western culture, a new way of answering this question has found its way into the church. This newer teaching claims that men and women can only be considered equal in worth and value if all differences between men and women are erased. That is to say, if women are to have equality, true equality with men, they say, then there must be no distinctions whatsoever in the roles of men and women. In the church, they should be able to do all exactly the same things. So that's the newer teaching, newer viewpoint on this question. Uh, another viewpoint on this issue, one that is not so new, but has been around and has made some appearances in history here and there, uh, is, is actually aberrant, and it's been used in abusive ways. And this says the opposite. This says, men and women are different. In fact, they are so different that they cannot be considered equal. This view has gone so far to say sometimes that since men and women are different, women must be inferior to men. Friends, this morning and in this series on manhood and womanhood, the divine design, I hope you'll see that the Bible categorically rejects and refutes both those views. And this week and next week, I want us to look at Scripture and see that men and women are divinely designed to be equal, yet distinct. And as we've been teaching in the series, this equality with distinction has implications for how we live and function at home and especially in the church. So our main point this morning and next week is this. God has designed us as men and women to flourish in the body of Christ in complementary ways that bring Him glory. Let me say this again. God has designed us as men and women to flourish in the body of Christ in complementary ways that bring Him glory. So before we proceed to look at our ministry as men and women in the church, I want us to be reminded of two major truths that we've seen throughout this series so far. All right, we, These have come up again and again. I want us to be reminded of this. First, men and women have equal standing before God in creation and in salvation. Men and women have equal standing before God in creation and salvation. So think back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. We're told... God created male and female in his image according to his likeness. Look at the text. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Both man and woman created in God's image to fully reflect his glory of equal value, worth, and dignity. I love uh, this early commentator on scripture, uh, Matthew Henry. He puts it very poetically uh, based on the symbolism here. He says, The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. So in creation 
equal. In salvation, scripture says, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So when it comes to our standing before God, when it comes to uh, us receiving the promises of God, our salvation in Christ, we are all heirs of God's promise. Men and women share total equality in God's sight and equally receive the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. So that's our first truth that we've been seeing, major truth. Men and women are equal in worth and value, both in creation and salvation. Second, all right, the second major truth that you should have been hearing throughout this series, men and women, though equal, are created distinct with different roles that shape how we live. Men and women, though equal, are created distinct with different roles that shape how we live. So think about this, Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In Genesis 2, the man is created first. He is created and commanded specifically for this role to work and to keep the garden. That word keep in the original means to protect. So Adam is given a role that involves provision, protection, responsibility for the garden and for the keeping of God's command. Adam is given the command. In Genesis 2, 18 to 23, uh, we see this beautiful narrative where God creates the woman to be a helper fit for the man. We see that in Genesis 2, 18, where God says, it is not good for man to be alone, I will make a helper fit for him. So the woman is created with this role to be a helper to Adam. And she is created with a disposition for life-giving and nurture. You see this when Adam later names her Eve, the mother of all the living. She is uniquely created for this. And so as we read all of this, we see certain implications about authority and responsibility placed upon the man. God charges Adam with the responsibility to work and keep, to protect the garden. Eve is a helper in this task. God charges Adam with the command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam names the woman, names her woman and then names her Eve twice in the narrative. Again, this act of naming in the ancient world indicated authority. And finally, when they sin and fall, God holds Adam responsible for the breaking of his command. Even though it was Eve under the influence of the serpent who initiated in this sin, Adam is held responsible by God. So those are two major biblical truths that we see in creation, and these shape and define everything that we see in the Bible after. In fact, over the next two weeks, we'll see that the role of men and women in the church are an outworking of these two 
truths. Let me repeat them again for you. Men and women are created equal and have equal worth in creation and salvation. Men and women are created distinct with different roles that shape how we live at home and in the church. This week, I want us to consider the many ways that the Bible calls both men and women to serve and flourish in the church. Next week, we'll look at the particular boundaries that God places on the roles of men and women based on the distinctions between men and women. And I want to say these are debatable matters. These are issues on which you know, you're free to disagree with me. If you have questions, if there are things you would like to pursue further, if you'd like to discuss these issues further, I'm always available to you. All right? I'd love to have a conversation if you have any questions about the teaching this week or next week. All right. So this week we're considering one straightforward and direct truth. All right. The Bible not only permits but actively promotes the participation of both men and women in a variety of ministry in the local church. The Bible not only permits but actively promotes the participation of both men and women in a variety of ministry in the local church. Friends, our sovereign God, our gracious God, graciously gives gifts. He gives the church a variety of spiritual gifts to all Christian believers, to men and women. God gives us gifts for the building up of his church. You might remember Pastor Christian Luanda's sermon Uh, A few weeks ago, who builds the church? Jesus, yes. All of us, yes. Which one is it? The answer is yes. That uh, the passage that he preached, Ephesians chapter four, verse seven says, "Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift." That means all of us have been given gifts by Jesus Christ for the building up of his church. The same passage goes on to say that pastors and teachers equip the saints, that's you, the members of the body of Christ, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Every single one of us in Christ, whether male or female, is called to ministry, is called to build up Jesus' church. No one is to be uninvolved or considered irrelevant in the building up of the church. And this is very important. We recognize the church belongs to Jesus. The church is the body of Christ. It's his body. It's by his spirit that he sovereignly assigns us our roles. Jesus gives us our gender. Jesus gives us our particular gifts. Jesus instructs us to use these gifts in his word. So this truth should guard our hearts against discontentment, And we should rejoice in how Jesus has designed us and called us to function. So let me say it one more time. The Bible not only permits but actively promotes the participation of men and women in ministry in the local church. Scripture doesn't just allow women in ministry. Scripture expects and encourages women and men to be actively engaged in the life of the church. It's not just the pastor who does ministry. It's not just the elders who do ministry. It's the members, all of us, all right? And we're going to look at this morning, I'm going to spell out for you five ways. I want to spell out explicitly five ways that we, all of us, both men and women, engage in ministry 
in the body of Christ. And I should warn you, some of these might seem surprising to you. It might take you by surprise. First, the first way. Are you ready? Brothers and sisters, what is the most important ministry that you're called to? What is your most primary ministry as a Christian? The answer is to gather with God's people. First way that men and women are to serve Jesus, to serve one another in ministry, is by gathering and growing, are gathering together with God's people. That's our most significant service as Christians. Take a look at what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25. He says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. When he's speaking of the day drawing near there, he is speaking of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus will come again and history will come to an end, the day of judgment in which this world will be renewed under the lordship of Christ. He's saying that day is coming near. What are you to prioritize now in preparation for that day? It's our meeting together. When the author says, let's not neglect to meet together, all commentators universally recognize that meeting together here refers to this assembly, the assembly of the church in God's presence, our gathered worship on a weekly basis. That's what the author is talking about. And when he is speaking of this meeting together, he says, don't neglect it. But he's also saying, you are to come, we are to come in, with, with such a heart to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How to keep encouraging one another when we gather. So this is our primary ministry. It's a glorious ministry. The ministry of presence with one another in worship. You know, it's very sad in our day and age, uh, we have seen the rise of what can be called consumer Christianity and the so-called attractional church, where church has become almost like, uh, you know, the shopping malls in Abu Dhabi, in the UAE. Uh, what are all the benefits that the church can offer you? What is the ministry, boutique of ministries that can serve you? What are the ways that you can be blessed and fed? And many of us come to church, it's become kind of where we sit as passive consumers. Uh, sadly enough, COVID-19 has really exposed this, hasn't it? Because so many people around the world have lapsed into thinking that sitting at home and watching something online is no difference with gathering with the church in person. Well, there's a major difference, dear friends. We are to gather together, not neglecting to meet together. And when we come here, we are not simply to sit as passive consumers, but to participate as active contributors. It's not just about what happens up here. It's what's happening in this room that matters. When the word is preached, we hear the word together. We don't just think about your, you know, ourselves being fed, not just how I'm being fed, but how is this word affecting others? How is this word shaping us as a church, as a family, as a community? We find ways not just to apply the word to our own lives, but to one, another, one another's lives. We're thinking about how this word is affecting others in the room. You don't just need to hear Pastor Aubrey from the pulpit be preaching. You equally need to hear Robert Titus saying, Amen. You know, one of the ways I encourage you to, to let this word 
be fruitful in our lives. Try and meet with people after the service, maybe outside on the sidewalk there, or going to Alwada Mall for lunch, or sometime throughout the week, send someone a WhatsApp. Ask them questions. Ask questions like, what did you learn from the sermon this week? Or, what has the Lord been teaching you in this series? Or you can share, you know what, I'm really convicted about X, Y, and Z, and I'm hoping to grow in this area. Would you pray for me? We're called to apply the word like that in each other's lives. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. And notice what he says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. It's not just the preacher who does the teaching. It's you, brothers and sisters, the saints, who teach one another, admonish one another with the word of God, using what was preached. When we come here on Friday mornings, we're not just here to watch a music performance. We're not just here to stand and and just watch the band on stage or watch these people perform for us. No, we are singing together. And and oftentimes we tend to think we're singing to God, this is between me and the Lord, you know, and and, and you close your eyes and, and all of this. And yes, that's beautiful. But we're not just singing to God. No, we're singing to one another. The passage in Colossians 3 also says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're singing to the people in the room with us, encouraging them by our faith. You need, we need to hear one another's voices lifted to God in praise. That's what spurs us on. This is how we are spurred on to love and good works. When we gather together here, we pray together. Again, it's not just the person up here who is praying. No, this person is praying as a representative for all of us. And so at the end of each prayer, if you agree with everything that was prayed, we all ought together to give a loud and hearty amen. Amen? This is our prayer as a church. When we gather together, we obey God's command to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. We are to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, Paul says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Friends, reading the Bible in the worship service, this is one of the most basic and critical elements of worship. And it's a privilege for both men and women to read God's Word. And for men and women to sit together and together hear God's word. When we gather together, as we will do this morning, we participate together in the Lord's Supper. Again, it's not just your private dinner date with Jesus. It's not just your private devotional time with the Lord. It's a feast that we are sharing in together, our hearts being bound together around the Lord's table, being nourished together. And so, be reminded of this, that the ministry of our gathered worship each week and the benefits that we receive from this time are not just from the preacher or what's happening on the stage or from the music team. No, it's first and foremost from being together and it's our ministry to one another. When we gather and do these things, we are preparing one another for the day that is drawing near, the day when the Lord Jesus will return. And by the way, our gathering is a central part of our witness to the world around us. 
Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says that in the church, through the church, that is the assembly of God's people, the manifold wisdom of God is displayed to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God Almighty, the infinite, almighty, omnipotent God would display his wisdom like this. He could display his wisdom in the stars and the galaxies that he has made or in the millions of sea creatures that he has made. But above all, the Lord God displays his infinite wisdom when we gather. May not feel like it, may not seem like it, but it's happening. People from every tribe and tongue and language and ethnicity, people who have nothing in common, people from different genders gathered together as one family in Christ displays the wisdom of God. And Paul says an unbeliever might enter and see how you worship and fall on his knees before God. Friends, elders meetings can't do this. Me preaching alone over here or just preaching to a camera does not display the wisdom of God like this. A men's breakfast or a women's monthly evening ministry event can't display the wisdom of God like this. Life group meeting, your life group can't display the wisdom of God like this. Even your personal quiet time cannot visibly display the power of God like when the whole church is gathered in Jesus' name. So that's our first and central ministry for both men and women together in the body of Christ. Our second crucial ministry, also shared by men and women, again, this is like the first, it's one that may not come immediately to your mind, but biblically it's non-negotiable, right? First is gathering and growing, second is meaningful membership, meaningful membership. Our ECC constitution says this, and I quote, every New Testament Christian is a minister and faithful membership itself is a ministry. Let me read that again. Every New Testament Christian is a minister, and faithful membership is itself a ministry. This is our second critical ministry, common to men and women in the body of Christ, is that we are active, committed members. Now, some people may have a misconception about membership. You might think, oh, what is this? It's not biblical. It's not in the Bible. Uh, membership is just adding your name to the list. It's just, you know, why, why all this formality? I want to say what, how the Bible presents church membership. It's not just adding your name to a list. It's not just joining, like some kind of, joining some kind of social club. No, membership is a commitment. It's a commitment that we are making to one another. By the way, the language of member comes when, from speaking about members of the body of Christ, being members of the body of Christ, members of the household of God. And membership is a commitment that we are making to one another to obey Jesus' commands together, to go, grow as Christians together, to take responsibility for one another's discipleship and growth. That's what membership is supposed to be. And as members, we are responsible for the discipleship of this church. And we are given authority by Jesus for the ministry of this church. ECC is an elder-led congregational church. Now, sometimes there's confusion about what this means, so I want to be very clear. What does it mean that we are elder-led congregational? It means, on the one hand, that the elders of ECC are entrusted with leadership and authority, and they are appointed by the Holy Spirit to lead 
this church. But it also means that God in his word gives the congregation, that is, gives you, the members, final authority in certain areas of church life. Not on everything, but over specific areas that are prescribed in scripture. First of those is over the doctrine of this church. Paul says, Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he says, If anyone, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And he's speaking to the whole congregation, not just the pastor, not just the elders. And this is a word for us, brothers and sisters. We are responsible ultimately for the doctrine and teaching of this church. All of us, men and women, all the members. If I begin preaching here something false, if I come here and start teaching that Jesus is not God, it's not just the elder's responsibility to hold me to account. It's your responsibility as the congregation to fire me and to find another preacher who will preach the truth and the whole counsel of God. The congregation, us, all of us are responsible to guard the gospel. We are not only responsible for the church's doctrine, we are responsible for the church's membership and discipleship. Right? Think about what Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 19. He says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There in Matthew 16, Jesus is speaking to Peter. And then he says the same thing again in Matthew 18 to the whole community of disciples when speaking of adding and removing people from the body of Christ, from the church. So when we come together at our members' meetings and you hear the testimonies of those who are being added into membership, this is a very, very significant matter. We are exercising the authority of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You're not just adding someone, voting to add someone to the list. You're affirming that they are your brother or sister in Christ. And you're taking responsibility for them and inviting them to take responsibility for you. This is a crucial ministry. Not only that, when someone continues to stray from God's word, when someone is living in sin, we as the congregation are res responsible to hold them to account. And finally, to use the same authority to remove them from the community of faith if they do not repent in church discipline. This is ministry, dear friends. We're responsible for the church's doctrine, for the church's membership and discipleship. We're responsible for the church's leadership. The leaders of this church are finally appointed by the congregation. Again, this is our responsibility as a congregation for us to assess and affirm who it is that the Holy Spirit is calling to lead. Friends, these are vital, crucial, non-negotiable areas of responsibility and of authority that every member, both male and female, is called to participate in. So simple application, make members' meetings a priority in your life. All of us, men and women, are commanded and called to know the Bible and to guard the doctrine of this church. All of us, men and women, are responsible to know who is a part of this community and to guard the purity and discipleship of this church. All of us, men and women, are responsible to assess and affirm godly leaders who meet the biblical qualifications. So, our two primary ministries that we looked at, gathering and growing, meaningful membership. Our third area of ministry might be even more surprising to you. Again, this is counterintuitive. Maybe you never really thought of this as ministry, but it is. All of us are called to this. The ministry of prayer. Of prayer. 
prayer is one of our most fundamental and basic and powerful and profound ministries as a Christian. Brothers and sisters, we all have the privilege of praying. In the New Testament, again and again, we are commanded to pray for one another and to pray for the mission of the church and the advance of the gospel. For example, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says, Pray at all times in the Spirit. He's speaking to the church here with all prayer and supplication. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, that is praying, for all the saints. Friends, the ministry of prayer is so precious in the body of Christ. And guess what? No one is restricted from praying. Isn't that good news? I shared a couple of weeks ago of the faithful ministry of three sisters who faithfully, month after month, every day, prayed through the membership directory. Let that be an example of encouragement. If you don't have a membership directory, brother or sister, please pick it up and resolve. Commit to this ministry, maybe as a New Year resolution. Pray through one page a day. It won't take long, I promise you. Pray for these brothers and sisters to whom you have committed yourself in membership. We also have the privilege and the ministry of gathered prayer, of gathered prayer in our congregational prayer meetings. Now, those of you who have attended those meetings, you know that this is one of our most beautiful and encouraging times together as a church family. And I wish, I pray that we would consider this special gathering of our church of such importance in our lives that we would not neglect it. Brothers and sisters, one of my prayers for ECC is that our congregational prayer meetings will be full and overflowing with participation. This is one of my deepest cries as a pastor, that we would all participate in congregational prayer. And I want to say both in Scripture and in our church, women are welcome to pray publicly, to lead in prayer. In fact, I should say I've, so, I've learned so much about prayer from sisters who have led in public prayer at our church. Maybe you were there at our last members meeting when our dear sister Gemma from Dosa uh, prayed for the new members. Uh, honestly, it's one of the most biblically saturated, powerful, beautifully composed prayers I've ever heard in my life. Similarly, a year ago on one of the church-wide Zoom calls when our sister Faiza Anthony prayed for the holiness of the church. Or maybe you were at congregational prayer in September when our sister Betty Susan Kurian prayed for us to grow in evangelism. These might be some of the most beautiful public prayers I've ever heard in my life. And I have learned so much about prayer from hearing these sisters pray. And I've commended their example uh, to all of our staff to pray like this. You might wonder about Friday worship gatherings, and, and you might ask, well, I don't see the women praying, you know, these particular prayers that we pray on Friday mornings. What about that? Well, first of all, I want to share, we have no qualms with women praying in the public gathering on Friday morning, right? It's the particular nature of the two prayers that we are praying during the service, these particular prayers, uh, that are a little bit more questionable, because they are, we view them as pastoral prayers. These prayers are carefully scripted. They are right on the line between prayer and public teaching. And so we restrict that to men as pastoral prayers. And you might ask, why is that? Well, you'll have to find out next week. Okay. For now, I want to say, prayer is a precious and critical ministry of the church. Both men and women are called and invited to pray privately and publicly. So we've seen gathering and growing 
Second, we've seen um, the ministry of meaningful membership. Third, the ministry of prayer. Fourth, leading and serving. Right? We're talking about things that both men and women are called to in the body of Christ. Leading and serving. We believe that the Bible prescribes two offices of leadership in the church. Right? The office of elder and the office of deacon. Next week, we'll consider more the office of elder and the boundaries that God has placed around that. But today, I want to share that we believe that the office of deacon is one that is open to both men and women who are called and qualified by Scripture. The diaconate, or office of deacon, is a necessary, vital, critical ministry in the body of Christ. What do deacons do? What do we believe they do? Well, we believe the Bible says deacons lead and serve with administrative and logistical oversight in various areas of practical ministry. And they serve under the authority of the elders to ensure that the elders can focus on the ministry of the Word of God and prayer and oversight over the whole church. Right? So deacon ministry is focused on practical concerns. It does not carry with it pastoral authority. They operate under the authority of the elders but their role is vital and essential to the church. Now, you might ask, well, how do, how do you get there? Why, you know, this, is a, this is also debated in churches. I've, I've known churches that do not have women deacons. Why do we believe that women can be deacons? And, and the reason is when we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, in verses 1 to 7, Paul gives the qualifications of elders. In verses 8 and following, he gives the qualification of deacons. And the debated point is on verse 11. So verse 11 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, your translation might read, their wives likewise must be dignified. But if you look at the footnote there, or if you look at a different translation like the New American Standard, you'll see that this phrase, their wives, uh, can also be translated simply women. Right? The word there has been supplied by the translators. And I personally think from my study of the Greek text, uh, we all as elders affirm we believe the best translation is women likewise must be dignified. The markers in the original text also seem to indicate Paul is presenting qualifications for a third category here, that is women deacons. So elders, male deacons, female deacons. I want to say we also see certain women named in the Bible to be a deacon. For instance, Romans chapter 16 verse 1, Phoebe is called a deacon of the church in Sencria. All right, it's translated servant here. It's the same word, deacon. All right. In the early church records, too, some of the earliest uh, letters that correspondence that we have from the first century, we see that there existed female deacons. So at ECC, we believe the office of deacon is open to both men and women who meet the biblical qualifications and are equipped and gifted to serve. And just take a moment to praise God for the ministry of deacons. Praise God for sisters who lead ministries and who serve in these areas with excellence. Praise God for our sister Eileen Orogo and for our sister Myla Afable and other sisters like Betsy Matthew and Wea Ablang who have served as deacons in the past. Praise God for sisters who faithfully serve on administration on our staff team. I want to also say praise God for our male deacons. Without them, this church would be lapsing into confusion and disorder and chaos. Right? So constantly pray for them and give thanks for these brothers and sisters who serve in these ways. So again, review, we've seen the ministry of men and women in gathering, in meaningful membership, in prayer, in leading and serving as deacons. Next we see their ministry, again, for both men and women, in the area of teaching. Of teaching. 
some of you look surprised. I said, next week we'll talk about the boundaries that God places on certain kinds of ministry, and we'll look at the fact that certain kinds of teaching roles in the church are reserved for men alone. But that doesn't mean that women can't teach or should not teach. No, in fact, our passage in Titus 2 that I read at the start of today says that women can and should teach. Women should teach other women. And this is a good thing. And you might say, oh, it's only teaching them to, uh, you know, so, uh, to be homemakers or, or do this and that is what the passage says. No, 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 read the passage carefully. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And in the context, what is good is what accords with sound doctrine, verse 1. And by teaching sound doctrine, thereby they train young women to love their husbands and children and so on and so forth. Women should teach other women. This is a glorious ministry. And women and men can and should teach little image bearers of God whom we call children. Think about Timothy, to whom two letters of the New Testament were written, the pastor in the church of Ephesus, right? Paul says to him, 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So question, from whom did Timothy learn his sound doctrine? From where did he get his theological education and knowledge of the Bible? Not from seminary. He learned it, 2 Timothy 1.5, he learned it from his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. I want to say, brothers and sisters, praise God for the many sisters here at ECC who live in this church as Eunices and Loises, who use their gifts to instruct and teach other women the Bible, who use their gifts to serve faithfully and instruct our children in God's Word. Sisters like Rebecca Reed and Belle Veloso over here, sisters like Paola Ramirez, Jenny Padigree, and so many others. And I want to say to the brothers, by the way, you're not excluded from the ministry of teaching children, Okay. Uh, as the government, Lord willing, grants us permission at some point to run children's ministries again, brothers, including you, single brothers, I pray that many of you grow in the knowledge of God's Word by seeking to teach God's Word to kids at ECC. Friends, I could go on and on. We've looked at five areas, but this is just scratching the surface could go on and on about so many areas of ministry, and most of our ministry happens through our relationships with one another. We could speak about the ministry of evangelism and discipleship. What a beautiful testimony we heard from our sister Snigda Nath, last week's congregational prayer meeting, of her ministry of evangelism to people in labor camps, cleaners, where she works. Think about uh, the ministry of evangelism of our sister Megan Stokes to people in her building. So many women here engage in a ministry of discipleship. We could speak of the ministry of hospitality, sisters like Geneth Yarete and Catherine Open who've opened their homes and welcomed so many of our members. We could speak of the ministry of counseling, of missions, of marhaba, seeking out and welcoming visitors, serving on the music team, leading us in congregational singing. We could speak of staff members like our sister Atsede and our sister Aina who do so much to keep our church running. Friends, when we start this conversation, we ought not to talk about what women can't do. Why is it women can't do these things? We ought to think first about what women can do and celebrate all of those things. 
I love how Kevin DeYoung puts this in his book. Okay, I'm going to quote an extended quote from this book here. Listen to this. Women can minister to the sick, the dying, the mentally impaired, and the physically handicapped. They can share their faith, share their resources, and open their home to strangers. They can write, counsel, mentor, organize, administrate, design, plan, and come alongside others. They can pray. They can serve on the committees of the church. As, as an aside here, I just want to say I'm so thankful for the sisters who served on the senior pastor selection committee that uh, assessed and called me. And our other sisters faithfully served on our recent associate pastor search committee that helped us identify and find such brilliant candidates. Continue what De Young says. Women can come alongside the elders in difficult situations involving women or those needing a woman's perspective. They can minister to single moms, new moms, breast cancer survivors, and abuse victims. They can bring meals, sew curtains, send care packages, and throw baby showers. I don't think a lot of men can throw baby showers, okay? Just... Saying. They can lead women's Bible studies, teach theology to other women, and plan mission trips. They can teach children. They can raise their kids to the glory of God, and they can embrace singleness as a gift from God. I pray for women who love to cook and quilt and work in the nursery. I pray for women, not the male elders, but women who counsel almost divorced wives and mentor young ladies and teach the Bible and good doctrine to other women. Oh, how we need women who love the Bible and good doctrine. Women can help widows. They can care for those struggling with the remorse of abortion, and they can show the glory of, God, of the gospel in racial and ethnic reconciliation, and they can do all of the above cross-culturally, in unreached places, with the unwanted peoples of the world. In other words, there are 10,000 things women can be doing in ministry. End quote. Sisters, there are people in this country, a large and substantial portion of the population of this nation, that only women can share the gospel with. No man can share the gospel with that segment of the population. Only you can. So take that call seriously. And so brothers and sisters, here's my heart and here's the elders' heart at ECC. We should promote and encourage the gifts and contribution of women in every area of church life that the Bible permits and encourages. We want women to flourish as disciples of Jesus and to glorify God as Christians, as church members, as disciple makers, as evangelists, as wives, as mothers, and as singles. We want to see women's gifts and their unique contributions on full display in the body of Christ and in all of life. And you know, maybe you're hearing this sermon and thinking about next week's sermon and saying, oh, pastor, this is not fair. You know, why is it that women can only teach women and children? I want to say to that, what's wrong with teaching women and children? Or, or maybe you say, oh, women are relegated only to administrative roles. Well, on the one hand, I want to say that's not true. But what's wrong with administrative roles? Administrative roles are such a precious and vital ministry in the body of Christ. We can't do without them. Friends, please do not fall prey to the mindset of the world that focuses only on what is public and what is visible and has a title attached to it. That may be how the world recognizes a person's worth and work, but that's not how it works in God's kingdom. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 22, Paul says, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. These Corinthians were focused on only what was external. 
And Paul reminds them, no, in God's kingdom, it's the reverse. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker or hidden are indispensable. You know, a lot of you, I'm sure you brush your teeth every day, you brush your teeth this morning, and underneath that mask, you have a nice, bright smile. You don't think about in the morning about your liver or what it's doing. I've got news for you. You can live without teeth. You can't live without a liver. We need each member of the body of Christ. Friends, consider, consider this morning as we close, consider how richly God has blessed us here at ECC. God, our Lord Jesus Christ, has given us Anwar Sawaya and Eileen Orogo. He has given us Will Barkley and Christian Luanda. He gave us Wiley Jenkins and J.P. Stokes and Sham Pasula. He has given us Snigda Nath, Yudit Padede, Ika Troy, Sundar Singh, Noble Repo, Elmark Pedrosa. He has given us Ifyo Kikiyagu, Cromwell and Amy, Myla Afablu, and Connie Tabalian. He has given us Ben and Cameron Zamora. He has blessed us with Graciela Perfetti and Blanca Vasquez and Joy Contado and Rosa Enaveso and Lauren O'Rear and Shamim Mahal. He has blessed us with Anna Mandia and Noemi Carpenter, Atsede Shifarao, Aina Theodoro, and Yule Trujillo. And he has blessed us with godly men to serve as elders in this congregation. Each person's ministry is distinct and wonderful. And here's the most wonderful part. All of these people that I just named, and all of us who are members who serve the body of Christ, none of us would be brothers and sisters, loving and serving one another with joyful hearts, were it not for the miracle of God's grace. In fact, none of us deserve to have any kind of ministry at all. Because the truth is, by nature, all of us, even all these wonderful people whom I just named, are selfish and self-seeking. Not serving others, but serving ourselves. All of us, wicked sinners who deserve judgment and condemnation, Titus chapter 3, God's word says, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But God, in his goodness and kindness, sent his own son. You think about the Christmas season. Why did Jesus come? Our Lord Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for sinners such as us, to pay the penalty for our sin, to take the judgment that we deserve, so we not only receive the forgiveness of sin, but we receive new hearts and become brothers and sisters in a beautiful community of love. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, and you've seen the love of this people for one another and wondered, what is it that brings these people together? I want to say, friend, this is available to you as well. Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. And you too can be a part of this beautiful family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great blessing of gifts and ministries that you bless us with in the body of Christ. We thank you for what Jesus has done in bringing together sinners from every tribe and tongue and nation to be one family before you. May we rejoice and be thankful for how you've created men and women to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.